0: Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalise here. Thank you all for the patience. We've been away for a couple of weeks. I had a bit of a vacation. I got a little sick. Fortunately, I didn't get COVID. And wouldn't you know it, Christo, I was on vacation, it looks like, the same time as the holy father the pope he basically just took a vacation across canada over there you know the past uh, 10 days and, and wanted to say sorry about all the atrocities of course that were done in his name so to speak for the the catholic faith and yeah it, it really was a strange occurrence if you're watching these events because it, he was kind of just walking around this elderly man saying he's sorry and in some cases even getting you know ceremonial indigenous garb which I know a lot of indigenous people were not happy about but they also you know I believe that the same uh, tribe also gave a headdress to Stephen Harper so it is kind of wondering what uh, that group is doing but when this was happening I remember the big message that was coming and 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 still is that It's not enough to just have the old man from Rome walking around and and saying it was bad and saying, I'm sorry, without any sort of at the very least like remuneration in some respect. So I'm just wondering if this was seen as basically a joke. And I think the thing that really cemented that. Christo was at the end of his journey. He, he goes all across Canada. He, he sees, you know, the victims of residential schools in Canada. He he sees even, I think in some cases, some of the, the grave sites, like really impactful stuff. Only as he's getting on the plane to go back to Rome... Does someone ask him, you know, do you think this is genocide? And his response is, it's true. I did not use the word beforehand because I didn't think of it. Yes, genocide is a technical word. I did not use it because I did not think of it. But yes, it was a genocide. Yes, yes, clearly, you can say that I said it was a genocide. Now, this moment when it's called, when the Pope calls what happened here in Canada a genocide, I think is really impactful because you can remember from not too long ago years went by where people in power said didn't want to use the term genocide for what happened to the indigenous people here in Canada, specifically during this, you know, this time period of the the outreach and of the residential schools of how they completely destroyed and committed this genocide. So to have the pope. The leader in many ways of these trads, to say this is impactful, but it's a little embarrassing that it happened right at the end. Like, do you think that it's just reporters, you know, not getting the opportunity to there's some dispute of of who which reporter actually asked that? A lot of people believe it was the uh, indigenous reporters that were there at the end. But yeah, overall, what's your take on this, Christo?
1: I mean, the trip could have been worse, right? It seems like some people were happy with it. And I think one thing we have to remember is that uh, every individual indigenous person is different. But even each individual community, each individual indigenous culture, the regions, all of that have different perspectives on on everything, but Mm -hmm. on this as well. So, you know, when you see an indigenous leader give the Pope garb, it's not necessarily the case that that's illegitimate from the perspective Of that indigenous leader or the group they represent or purport to represent, right? And especially not me
0: saying it. Me saying it means nothing. Well, no, but you're right, though, (laughs) in
1: saying that many indigenous people were did not did not agree to give it Mm -hmm. to to the Pope, just as they didn't agree to have it be given to Harper or Trudeau or Notley or other politicians who have recently gotten it, even though uh, you know in various ways they uphold and 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 promote you know settler con- colonialism and mm-hmm. the legacy of genocide or they deny the legacy of genocide and, and all of that uh, but you know i think i think if there was a pope that was gonna do it uh, n- this not crappy I, mm. I i still think i think it might have been this pope who has kind of more of a commitment to social justice although yeah. again he's still the pope of the catholic church it's not it's not like he's the, the head of world socialism you know so there's <laughs> there's that but i mean i i, I think that there, like, the coverage was decent. Uh, I listened to Canada Land, you know, as this happened, and they had, you know, a, a discussion on it saying that, you know, a few years ago, if this would have happened, the coverage likely would have been much worse, because while the industry still has a, a great deal of way to go, there are more Indigenous people within uh, newsrooms and more indigenous uh, organizations uh, than before to give that that, that that perspective, that caution, that balance, mm-hmm. uh, which includes some indigenous people that did find the apologies meaningful, uh, whether, uh, you know, from a theological perspective. And there were protests of the pope, including one in, I believe, the, 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 the cathedral in Montreal or Quebec City uh, in Quebec. Uh, that was that was incredibly impactful. But um, I think it could have been worse. I definitely wonder about that question around genocide. I wonder yeah, if he, that's strange, you know, whether right? he was asked it or not, and just didn't answer, or you know if people wanted to ask it, but you know these events were all very well covered, and you know he probably couldn't take questions for hours. And I do find that weird that 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 question was was seemingly only asked or only answered. On the way back. Mm-hmm. I find that weird. I don't know if that's intentional or not. Like some people were like. Oh he did that to like. To, to, to not make a big deal out of it. Because he didn't want to like. Piss off the right wingers or something. Or he wanted to like bury it. And I don't think that's true. I think the instinct would be. You either don't answer the question. And if you're going to try to give an answer. That you know is going to piss people off frankly. It would be saying no it isn't a genocide. And then maybe you do that on the plane ride back. Yeah. When all the people you just met including some people who maybe found your apology uh, uh, sincere and meaningful, those people might not agree if you don't think that what happened was a genocide. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's like a tactic there, but it does seem weird to me. It seems weird. I mean, like, again, the visit, the visit in some ways could have been much worse than it yeah. was.
0: Well I just I wonder about the impact of the fact that it, like clearly he was aware that his words would have impact when he said you can say that I said it was a genocide like obviously there yeah. there's some weight behind that I'm yeah. I'm hoping that it does you know really have an impact I'm wondering if it won't because it seems like it should it seems like that the pope saying what happened to indigenous people here in Canada influence mostly by these catholic school residential programs that existed is considered a genocide should mean something to a lot yeah. of people but i you know maybe the timing of it hurts that a bit like you were you were indicating i just i haven't felt as much of an uproar from that moment as I thought we would. And the thing that scares me, Chris, is that maybe we're just in such a hell world that even the people that would deny it are just saying like, oh yeah, it was a genocide. Yeah, that was rough. Let's move on to the next terrible thing that's happening. You know, like there isn't that reverence for this move. Whereas five, 10 years ago, this would be the the biggest story for for weeks at a time. And there might even be momentum behind this. I'm not seeing the momentum behind this and I think at last check we're in the if we're not in the tens of thousands depending on how you your criteria is of these graves that were found like it's just it's an absurd amount of number an absurd injustice absurd genocide that took place and now that the pope's saying it like I I just I haven't seen the momentum around it that we thought I thought we would. And uh, yeah, that's that's a little upsetting because it kind of feels like he he like, what else can indigenous people ask of the Catholic Church now that he's done this? He didn't do the thing that I know we've seen the a lot
1: of discovery. I don't. Yeah, believe he, yeah. And that's a big one, because that was the the basis in many ways for, you know, going all the way back to. The, the the time where the, the popes basically said like these lands are basically like you know it's free it's, it's you know the meme it's free real estate right like you know what i mean yeah. it's like these lands are effectively unseated uh in the sense that they're not held by christian people yeah. uh and you have a right to take these lands and some popes their doctrine were more, too like it is yeah, it's an important
0: thing exactly and i religion. mean
1: they literally at the time they literally divided the world uh, or at least the 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 what they you know what they thought of the the unexplored world between Brazil and or between Portugal and Spain, and they mm-hmm. said you know on this half of the Atlantic, like that's Spain's land, and on this half of the Atlantic that's Portugal's land, and basically by virtue of the the Vatican, which we the Pope, but also at the time like still but like a literal the Papal States like a country, mm-hmm. we have like g- like ordained your right to uh to Go out and claim this land in the name of of the faith, but also of your crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and based on this idea that, you know, unlike you know a European country, a quote unquote civilized country, you couldn't just do that. you could with these people. And some popes were more sympathetic to the rights of indigenous peoples in Africa and the in and the Americas. Some opposed slavery, some didn't. but the but the doctrine of discovery, one hundred percent. Like was the ideological basis, at least among Catholics. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to Protestants, uh, although they started later, largely following the the lead of the Catholic countries. But it was like it, it drove that, right, one hundred percent. I'm not saying that like the Pope didn't make that. The, these countries probably still would have done their their raping and pillaging yeah. and conquesting. Uh, and at times, again, the Jesuits at times that which are the this this. Uh, pope comes from i believe he's a he's a jesuit uh you know they were often expelled from certain portuguese and spanish colonies because they were too nice to the indigenous Mm. people individual jesuit monks because they believed uh in in anti-slavery and again this is very very broad but the point is um yeah that's a big one Mm -hmm. like there's a like and i mean look money Right, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the end of the day, money. Like I, like, I, I, know, I, th- like, I, I don't
0: know if you saw this on Twitter, Crystal. Yeah. People are saying like, you know, the church can't afford it. Is what I saw a lot of, which is pretty. That's not bad. That's 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 some <laughs> that's some high level griefing. I don't that know, I, right? I, I mean, I know.
1: Say. Like, see, I don't know. Like, look, there's a couple things here. Like, why this didn't matter as much is that one, like, like the Catholic Church doesn't quite have that cachet that it used to, mm-hmm. right? Less people are religious. And so yeah. I would say that, like, for example, when we were kids, Pope John Paul the Second, right, who was a pope for a really long time,
0: mm-hmm. like,
1: before we were born until our early adulthood, basically, around the time I finished high school.
0: In um, my Polish household, my yeah, my grandparents, yeah. his picture was on the wall. Let's put it that way. He's a big deal.
1: And because he was Polish, so they did. That might be a... But, like, he was one of the world's most famous people. Yeah. and And, 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 and Francis probably is, too, in some ways, but... I feel like it's not like, you know, the 1970s anymore, right? It, <laughs> yeah, I guess you know you're right. What I mean yeah. like the Pope isn't as maybe I'm wrong and like I also think that it could be one of those things where it could be one of those things where yeah, a lot of the people that are receptive to the fact, it's not just an idea, but a fact that it was a genocide already know that, mm. right? And a lot of yeah. the people that aren't they they just don't care about that reality. So I wonder if the Pope saying it, it's good to hear, it's important, it probably will have an impact, but its impact might be partially dulled by, like, the fact that, like, I don't know, like, who's wi- who's left to sway? Yeah. I don't know if that's, like, the right way of putting it, but, like, who's left to sway? And this isn't be,
0: convincing right-wingers who are like maybe religious. Like, I don't religious. think conservative don't, yeah.
1: Catholics... Mm-hmm. Who, who like, uh, and again, this pope has had issues because a lot of conservative Catholics don't like this pope because um, of his, of his uh, uh, theological and economic views and all of that. But, like, I don't know if, like, a right-wing religious person um, that, that values what the pope says is going to hear that and kind of all of a sudden think, you know what, it was a genocide. I think for the most of people, they've sort of already decided that. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of folks, um, I don't know about polling on this, I haven't seen polling, but I think a lot of folks in this country think, at the very least, and and some people make the distinction and some people don't, that it was a cultural genocide. Like Mm -hmm. that this was a deliberate effort, an attempt at least, by the Canadian government and the Catholic Church and certain Protestant churches to come out and destroy indigenous culture. Uh, To destroy indigenous communities, uh, families, uh, systems of governments, languages, religion, all of that, right? To destroy all of that uh, and to, you know, to at the very least take the indigenous people and make them culturally European. Mm -hmm. Which is genocide. It is. Like if you look at the various degrees of genocide, like that is a form of genocide. Um, But I don't know if this is going to sway anybody. Because a lot yeah. of the people are like they're like I, that cultural genocide isn't genocide. Genocide is literally only like the Holocaust, right? You know, and 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 nothing less than that, or nothing less than that, or Rwanda or whatever is genocide. Everything else is is not. And then you have people that will if when you when you see the evidence of actual potential genocide, which are. You know, uh, unmarked graves, and you see mm-hmm. work by James Dashuk and some historians about how the Canadian government purposely starved Indigenous people back in the 1800s as actual, you know, biological genocide, where where people are dying on purpose. They'll they'll deny or or try to like contextualize, quote unquote, that away as product of its time. I don't know. I don't know because mm-hmm. it should. You're right. It should be a bigger deal. But I just. I don't know if it's on the plane ride back. Maybe it's because there wasn't, like, was there a video of it? I don't think there was video of the Pope saying that, was there? Uh,
0: not at least yeah, available, like, and they yeah. would definitely have that. <laughs> yeah,
1: versus, like, let's say he said it at one of his big events, and there was an indigenous leader, or he said that wearing the head garb. Like, yeah, you're right, but I'm not sure. I wonder if he's late to it, and the people that, are, the people that care are, have already made their decision. They're entrenched, Man. for lack of a better term.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there, and it's almost like, you know, when was the first, again, they've been finding, unfortunately, these uh, residential school graves, unmarked graves, for, for years. But the big one was over a year ago, and since that time, you know, more were found every couple months to a couple weeks, and the Pope coming now and calling it genocide, even culturally— uh, here in Canada is like you said. people Did have he already... specify
1: the term again? Just sorry, the, the, the Pope just called it genocide, right? A yeah. Lot so of he was people... asked
0: specifically. I, I didn't use the word because I didn't think of it. I. It's a technical word. He said, and then yep. he, he pondered to himself and said, "Yes, it was a genocide. Yes, uh, yes, clearly."
1: Like so there it, is, it, he, interesting. He, the Pope <laughs> is right. I mean, you know, the popes are like they're they're often learned men and and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is a uh, a definition, right? Like there's like there's a, a kind of general view. You, but, like, I believe there there is a UN definition, mm-hmm. right? And it, it, it includes the following. And I believe this was adopted in the 1940s or something. And the, the original definition was, like, killing members of a group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or, or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. I mean, Mm. at the very least, residential school, bam, it's genocide. And this does not specify cultural, biological, political, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the very least in Canada, you could say killing members of the group, obviously. But like, let's just say they meant that to be the Holocaust, whatever, causing serious bodily or mental harm. We could probably include that one, obviously, Uh, deliberately affecting on the uh, conditions of life to bring about physical destruction, Uh, at least at part in Canadian history. You could certainly argue that the Canadian government purposely starved at least some indigenous communities, either as a form of clearance to clear them off certain lands or as a tool of discipline. And then mm-hmm. and then we've seen uh, birth control used against uh, various minority groups, uh, people with, and people with disabilities. But indigenous people have been. We've talked about it on this podcast that, um, it, you know, it's not necessarily systematic, but we've seen more than a few examples of young indigenous women finding themselves uh, un- unknowingly effectively sterilized. Right. Without their mm-hmm. consent or knowledge. Um, and then finally, the biggest one, obviously, uh, removing children, like the 60 scoop residential schools. Like yeah. that's the, that's the biggest one in Canada. And it's genocide. So the Pope might have been honestly been thinking like maybe just in his head, like I know what like I'm the Pope. I know what yeah. the five rules of genocide are. And clearly at least at least two of these are bang on. And the mm-hmm. other three are, are at the are, 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 are close to being bang on, too.
0: Man, it's almost like, I understand the impact I was even talking about a moments ago, but it, it's almost a little more depressing to know that the Pope can, can kind of ponder this and understand the reality. And that, at least so far, that hasn't really changed anything for Canadians, especially for indigenous people. That this reality can be understood by this man. That represents so much to this faith that was responsible for this, but it's not really having an impact. And I got to say, like, if money was involved, I don't know if he would so glibly understand and just say to the public, absolutely, it was genocide, which makes me think. You know, money certainly should have been involved. Like, I yeah. I, I do think that changes things a lot here, because as much as this is a big impact, like we're just we're not seeing the momentum. We're not seeing the move from it. And yeah. that's a little more upsetting. Like, it's a lot of it's kind of our times. Right. People will say the thing, but not do the thing we need so that we don't die, which yeah. I kind of want to do as a segue into our next talk about inflation. As we all know, everything around the world Costs a hell of a lot more. And wouldn't you know it, the Bank of Canada governor has an idea about how to help with all of that. And Christo, what is what is our, what is our man doing to help uh, Canadians and why should we be so excited about it?
1: Well, he has uh, gone out and, and made a very clear ask to Canada's mm-hmm. employers, which is basically to stop workers from earning more money. Right. Thank like God. Way, yeah. Right. Because like the, so the Bank of Canada is not technically it, it's like, look, there's a whole debate, but it's not like a quote unquote political position. The Bank mm. of Canada is different than the Minister of Finance. Right. The Minister of Finance is a member of Parliament. Usually they're elected. You know, that's Chrystia Freeland. They have a riding. They're appointed by the prime minister. And their job is to, to to run the budget of Canada and all of that. The Bank of Canada is there to handle the currency of Canada, like the the supply of money, interest rates, things like that. And they are appointed by by elected officials, but it's expected that they're they're somewhat disconnected from politics. And so there's been a lot of debate about how Pierre Polyevra has, has is trying to politicize the Bank of Canada, saying he's going to fire him or tell him what to do. And and all of this and all of that and that's maybe a little bit beyond this and neither uh, neither uh, Andy nor I are are macroeconomists uh, so we're not experts <laughs> yeah. on that but what I can say is that he's certainly getting political here right like mm-hmm. like and I just want to read this is part of an op ed from the uh, president of the Canadian Labor Congress which is the the the, the umbrella body for uh, uh, not all Canadian unions are a part of it but a majority of Canadian union members are a member of the Canadian Labour Congress. Uh, and it basically says here, the spotlight is shown brightly on Bank of Canada, governor Tim uh, Macklem, Tiff Macklem this year, uh, landing him in center stage in Canada's ongoing inflation drama. Because again, one of the goals of the Bank of Canada is to keep this, the, the value of currency stable, right? Mm-hmm. And so just to say that generally countries like Canada, mature economies, you want inflation to be two to 3%, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You want inflation to be not zero. Uh, uh, you want it to be somewhere around 2%, maybe 3 in some cases, ideally 2 Because you want the money supply to grow because your population is growing. And even just psychologically, people have an expectation that... Wages and things are going to rise over time, but you don't want inflation to be too high because that 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 can be that can be difficult for the economy to manage. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what one the tools he does have are things like interest rates. Right. So yeah. Macklin has been the you know, the face of monetary policy, blah, 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 um, You know, they they've been talking about how. Um, they've been talking about how he's fighting with Pierre Polievre. but this is what he did. He actually sat down with, with, uh, with companies the day after the bank of Canada raised rates by 100 basis points, which basically is like a 1% increase. This is why maybe you've seen this talk about house prices are, are, are maybe going to start falling. One of the reasons is that interest rates going up makes it harder to borrow money. Um, uh, went to a business lobby group and urged them to hold the line on wage costs. Despite wages lagging far behind inflation, he warned the Canadian Federation of Independent Business not to build higher wages into contracts with their employees. This shocked many. Surely it is not the role of Bank of Canada to undermine the collective bargaining power of workers. Just as it is not the role of Canadian unions to weaken the bank governor's ability to set monetary policy. So basically, the Bank of Canada's head, and maybe, I don't know if he was... Maybe he was speaking on his own capacity, but I don't think such a thing exists. He's discussing macroeconomic policy while he's the head of the Bank of Canada. It's not like he's retired. Um, He's basically going out there and saying, we need to control inflation, and the way to do that is for wages to stagnate. Wages need to stagnate, oh, and this really just outlines. And this is something I covered on my my research into Pierre Trudeau. I don't know how many people may actually the the average listener of this podcast might have actually read my book more than the general population. <laughs> there you go. But my research on it was was very much based on this idea that inflation was a real concern in the 1970s, and it was much worse than it is now. To be to be clear, but it was also a a kind of cudgel. That governments all over the Western world used against workers. That workers were actually, and if you've seen those famous charts, where from like 1950 to like 1973 or whatever, as productivity and profits rose, wages actually kind of rose at the same rate. Like companies mm-hmm. were doing good, but workers were too, right? This is that where Bernie talks about how, you know, when I was a young man, uh, the <laughs> average CEO only earned about 12. Per times what the average worker at his factory earned and now it's 400 times i don't know if that's a good i don't know if that's a good bernie or not i'll listen back to that. that's not bad i I think it's pretty good but you know what i mean that's and that's what they're talking about and so at this Mm -hmm. critical juncture they were like okay we're gonna we gotta keep wages and prices down but in effect they only really kept wages down and workers never really caught up right they never really caught up and Mm -hmm. so a lot of this discussion in some ways uh in both canada and the u.s is that look they don't necessarily know if these policies can actually affect inflation. But what they that, do know is, is, say that again, Chris. Chris that's yeah, really important. Yeah, like, they don't know if these policies can actually. So, like raising interest rates does usually have a downward effect on on inflate, like on 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 the value of currency. Because mm-hmm. if you raise interest rates makes money more expensive that's the simplest yeah. way to put it money is more expensive like if you're bo- if you're whether you're an individual or you're a business big and small if you're gonna go out and get a loan to buy a new widget maker for your factory and it costs a million dollars for the machine and you got to get nine hundred thousand dollars of a loan and higher interest rate makes that machine more expensive the money mm-hmm. to buy it right because you gotta get it from the bank yeah you know your house uh your house might become houses might be too expensive for you at a given price if the interest rates go up even a little bit right things like that yeah uh all of that is so it it says it, it slows down things uh in that way but if the if the if the if it's being driven by global effects and if it's being driven by supply chain issues and scarcity issues in some cases then higher interest rates won't necessarily have a major effect but what they yeah. often do and you and this is a stronger correlation in some cases is that higher interest rates can correlate with higher unemployment rates and mm-hmm. so elizabeth warren and bernie sanders in the united states and some people in the ndp here as well have said to the you know when they're questioning in the united states that their their bank of canada is called the federal reserve right but it's the same thing where it's like a quasi separate body it's different from the the, the, the Treasury, like there's the Treasury yeah. and then there's the Fed. In Canada, we have the Ministry of Finance and the Bank of Canada. Right. Uh, and so Warren said to him, like, you, we, this might not affect inflation, but what it will do is increase unemployment. And that's the goal here. It's very clear that the Bank of Canada, whether it's because they want to control inflation or whether it's that they they just want to help create a more friendly capitalist economy, what a lot mm. of these people are realizing is like we need to crush workers. Like that's basically yeah. where we're at. We need to crush workers. Workers right now have too much bargaining power. That's effectively the position that these governments find themselves in workers have too much bargaining power and there's a bunch of reasons why workers have too much bargaining power but the biggest one is often in because we haven't seen like a sharp increase in unionization rates we haven't seen a sharp increase in better labor laws right Mm
0: -hmm. the
1: biggest one is that there's 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 less jobs or there's more jobs Relative to the amount of workers. And so especially in certain industries, like say service industry, uh, people can quit and get another job, whether they can leave the service industry for better paid, you know, uh, more dignified or work that's treated as more dignified, work and say, you know, uh, get, get a white collar job or whatever, or whether they could just move from working at one bar to another bar because the other bar gives them better hours and better wages and uh, the tips are better, or the, 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 the place is nicer to work, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this can have an a, a upward pressure on wages. And so effectively what they're saying is, Let's raise interest rates to help spur higher unemployment and let's ensure that all employers sort of get together and team up almost like societal wide collusion and Mm -hmm. not raise wages. Because if we do both of these things, we might actually get inflation down, which is a goal, but critically we will crush the workers like that's (laughs) what this is largely about, like because they know they can do that. Right, and And if they don't
0: do that, that's the bigger issue. It's not only about crushing the workers, but if they don't,
1: because it might have an effect on inflation, but it certainly will have an effect on profits and "quote unquote" global competitiveness. I mean, this was Pierre Trudeau's argument. Pierre Trudeau would say to the Canadian workers, he would say, "We have to keep your wages down. It's for your own good. We got to (sighs) keep your wages down because every time you get a raise, it hurts." The, 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 the poor senior citizen who's now their, 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 their fixed income won't go as far. And for every time you get a wage, a worker in the United States or Europe or the especially the developing world, which, you know, that was just at the beginning of outsourcing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the 70s and 80s, right? Like, they're going to get an advantage on us. So Trudeau said, no, we don't need higher wages and less hours. We need longer hours, less wages. Canadian workers mm-hmm. need to work harder for less. And it'll be better for you like that was the argument right like the argument was like canadian workers had to become leaner and meaner to lower inflation and be more competitive and that's effectively what's happening right now right Mm -hmm. that's effectively what's happening right now they're trying to make the same argument that um the only way to get this done um is to crush the workers it'll help with inflation maybe but we know that it serves other economic goals like the Bank of Canada, again, is not supposed to be a political organization. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be strictly concerned with keeping the currency and the, the supply of money stable. But insofar as it's created like that, it's often seen as serving the interests of capital.
0: So I got a question for you, Crystal. Looking back at, you know, when this same sort of bargain was put to the Canadian people in the 70s by Trudeau, the response to that then was... Versus the expected response to that messaging now, because absolutely this is being said by the Government of Canada, but there's a lot of this rhetoric going through North America and the United States. This is absolutely narratives that are being built. Do you think that you know people now or can recognize maybe the the grift here because things feel at least so much worse, even if inflation isn't technically as bad as it was during that time? Time. things certainly feel worse do you think that more people will agree with this idea that was sold that is being sold to them now or do you think that maybe you know because the material circumstances are so barren here because it is so yeah. bad in ways that like just wasn't just didn't exist even at that moment it just isn't the same sort of thing is that gonna work again i guess
1: you know at the time and look the moves that trudeau made the trudeau the 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 first trudeau Mm -hmm. the elder if you will uh (laughs) made were far more extreme in some ways like if we're being honest trudeau created uh really three major anti-inflation efforts in the late 60s early 70s during his first government created the price and incomes commission which was a kind of voluntary thing where uh, they wanted to get union leaders and big businesses to kind of pinky square, not to raise prices more than like 5% and for workers not to bargain for more than 5% keeping in mind inflation at the time was was more than 5 so they were asking the biggest unions and the biggest companies to effectively take a little bit of a pay cut um, to do that but the workers rightfully so said this is an unfair deal because what you're going to get us to do is sign multi-year collective agreements and what you're asking companies to do is to just say I guess we'll promise not to raise bread prices for the next few months but they could just not keep that promise right yeah. <laughs> they're not forced to sign a contract with you know the government or even with bread st- grocery stores to promise to not raise prices for the next five years or something beyond five percent a year or whatever right uh, and mm-hmm. so that didn't really go anywhere and then in the mid-1970s he created the anti-inflation board which uh, had to go all the way to the supreme court and was one of the biggest economic interventions since world war ii which effectively banned meaningful collective bargaining for three years <laughs> it created a an absolute cap for most workers what for what they could demand in either in all unionized cases and in even in non-unionized companies above a certain size workers were prohibited by law by federal law from getting a wage increase above a certain amount there were certain carve outs for certain industries and often the poorest workers were exempt and but but in general it was a, it was a big cut to workers and critically that actually intervened intervened on provincial labor law it made it so that the federal government was was capping the ability of provincial governments to run its own labor law for three years. It oh, was, wow. it was, yeah, that's why they had to go to the Supreme Court, arguing that inflation was a national crisis, like like a war. And the Supreme Court agreed with Trudeau, actually. Uh, and so for three years, in, in effect, that that existed. Um after that, even in the 1980s, Trudeau created the six and five program, which was aimed specifically at federal public sector workers. But many governments and employers in solidarity, in the employer class solidarity, jumped on, uh, saying that even when collective ag- agreements were already negotiated, they were they would be superseded and uh, Trudeau would not give a wage uh, more than 6% in 1982 and more than 5% in 1985. Again, keeping in mind at the time, inflation was often above 10%. So Mm -hmm. these were all efforts aimed predominantly at affecting workers. Now the Anti-Inflation Board technically controlled prices But like, and you could read my book on this. There are all sorts of ways that that didn't actually work. And even within earners, uh, professionals like doctors and lawyers, and and a lot of white collar workers in corporate Canada found ways of getting around this through bonuses and whatnot. Whereas your wage earner, you know, at a factory, had almost no way to get around the anti inflation board increase. Uh, And so all of these were created. Uh, In general, I mean, Trudeau, uh, Trudeau, you know. I think had support for a lot of this. Hmm. I don't know if Canadians right now perceive workers as 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 strong as they did in the 1970s, whether it's oh, reality or whatnot, point. right? I I don't know if the prevailing wisdom right now is that workers are causing inflation. The thing right now that like if if the, the right wing narrative isn't big bad unions are causing inflation right now at least right now mm-hmm. they they will use that argument if they come in power and workers go on strike like they'll 100% make that argument if yeah. like let's say uh, federal uh, federal worker like a uh, public servants go on strike or like a, like auto workers or whatever go on strike they're going to make the inflation argument 100% but i i i feel like the narrative now is like oh government spending is doing it mm-hmm. the government is spending too much money this you've heard this from both uh, conservatives and republicans Oh, Biden's inflation uh, bill was too big. It's going to cause inflation. Uh, you know, they don't know how to run an economy, gas prices, blah, blah, blah. They haven't mm-hmm. focused on attacking workers right now. Maybe uh, right-wingers have looked at the polling and they, they, they don't find that it's convincing. But Trudeau aimed squarely at workers. That was his, his thing. Unions are causing inflation. Unions are, are being, uh, in a sense, parasitic by demanding too much higher wages and they're hurting the country and they're hurting the poor and i'm gonna stand up for these people against the big bad unions and trudeau even trotted out that whole you know there was a time where unions were small and weak and now they're big and strong and maybe they need to be controlled a little bit like that argument you hear from everyone all the time like unions (laughs) 20 years from before the time we're talking were good unions now corrupt right like you know what i mean like that's always the (laughs) argument you can go back to like 1910 and read newspapers yeah. that say, "Oh, unions in the 1880s were great. They were just fighting for the common working man. Now they're big and bureaucratic, and and they want they want unreasonable demands like workmen's compensation, right? You know what I mean, like mm-hmm. things like that. So I don't know if it's going to be as effective this time, um, but you're definitely seeing that push, and you're definitely seeing a co- collaboration between business, the government, and the Bank of Canada uh, to see uh, controlling workers' demands." as part of the anti-inflation strategy 100 100
0: i'm just wondering again about just the the general uh (laughs) disassociative narratives that are being built the idea that we can solve this in the same sort of ways that we were told we could solve it in the 70s you know this idea even if it's not true that you know we just need belt tightening and everything will be okay if that messaging is being said to canadians i'm wondering If it will be, you know, the audience that's supposed to listen to it and believe in it, maybe, you know, centrist and and right wingers in this country will support that and just think, yeah, that that makes sense. That'll help us because maybe simply because the you know, the the governor of the Bank of Canada is saying as such, you know, so I, I wonder if it will have that impact because clearly that's not what's happening <laughs> so yeah let's see if uh this will continue again if he if it was just an offhand comment doesn't really seem like it uh speaking of money let's continue with i mean one of the concerns segues. is that it's not oh, that he it said it
1: this time it's that how how often does he say this where like there maybe isn't a reporter in the room or something <laughs> yeah to, to hear it and that's and that's the thing right like They definitely
0: believe this. Like, this is absolutely a strategy. This is something that is understood. Like, you just talked about the legacy of this in in governance and how it's almost like a required means of controlling us when clearly we need something else because people are are suffering, it's just, it's the class, I don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast, that we need something else because people are suffering, we're getting fed the same sort of pablum that's been killing us for a long time, but because things are worse, it's killing us just a little bit faster. Uh, I was talking to him before about money. Wouldn't you know, Pierre Poilievre is doing quite well. He's, he's very, absolutely seen as the front runner for the conservative leadership here in Canada federally. But did you know that he has actually earned in one quarter of fundraising more money than all of the other participants put together and even more money than... Uh, what's his name, that Aaron O'Toole, excuse me, raised during his entire bid that he won in the last uh, leadership race. So we're talking about over $4 million in a quarter, and I'm wondering... If that means that clearly, you know, people are just putting the money behind someone that they see as the front runner and they want, you know, this sort of support and relationship, or if he has like this just strong ass infrastructure that is going to propel him and push him and get access to certain constituents that just frankly these other people don't have access to, you know, is this, you know, a lot? I wonder how many of, the uh PPC dollars are being sent to Pierre here. Like uh, it's interesting to think about where this money is actually coming from. And what I wish actually have a question uh from our Discord audience. If you want to join please go to patreon.com slash left turn canada just a buck a month and you can ask us questions. This one is from Manny that is posing the question what will happen If Pierre does win, Pierre Berliver wins, what will happen to the PPC? Will that mean that the Liberals will try to capture the red Tories? Do you think this will move the Overton window free for the NDP to swing left rather than needing to compete for centrist? So kind of a big one here. Uh, Yeah, Krista, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, well... Well, what will happen if we wins? I mean, that's like a big discussion, right? I mean, and, it'll, and that obviously depends on what kind of win. If you look at the polling now, the polling is kind of leaning towards maybe a conservative minority, but they would need the support of the block, and even with the block support, they would only be like at one hundred and seventy three seats, uh, and so they would need basically the block support on 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 almost their entire agenda, and the block, you know, is idiosyncratic, and so there might be some things they could get a deal with on the block, but. Not everything, um, so that'll obviously matter. Like, what kind of win Polyevra gets if he wins? Is it a minority? Is it a weak minority? Is it a strong one? Um, what the polling has often indicated, and a lot of this is still kind of hypothetical because he's we still don't know who the leader is going to be. Although it's going to be him, he's he's going to win. But like, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 we we it's still not done yet, and we're nowhere near an election, so voter behavior might change but it looks like if you look at the polling when polievra is plugged in as pp uh, as as conservative leader the ppc numbers do decline quite a bit and i think what that's showing is that when sharev wins uh again he won't but when he does <laughs> hypothetically the liberals do a little bit worse um but the conservatives are in general are lower because there are more people shifting to the back to over to the ppc Mm-hmm. I think that Polyevro winning would be a bit of a crisis for the PPC. It would they would they would need to have an issue that still animates them. Yeah, like the vaccine is kind of what made the PPC so relevant, the uh, vaccinations and, and masking and COVID in general. Remember, they ran that first election in twenty nineteen. Maxime Bernier was uh, in Parliament, although he'd never won his seat as a PPCer. But they had the, yeah, they had their leader in the parliament. racist
0: policy. Remember yeah. that was the racist. Yeah, platform. it was <laughs> largely
1: like racism and, and all of that. And 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 you know they, they got a good amount of support. They did, but not enough to win anywhere. And he got trounced in his riding. And then it, it, you know he thought, okay, they lost their only seat. Uh, the, the party's probably gonna die, right? Like mm-hmm. most parties do, right? Like most third parties fail. Um, And then um, COVID happened, Mm -hmm. and especially under O'Toole, and even under Ford for a while and all of that, there was this sense that even conservative premiers were were following the science to some degree, even if only half-assed or quarter or third-assed, they were following it. But uh, it created this window for the PPC to be like, we're the only party standing for freedom. And a lot of people, whether they were leaving the conservatives or whether they were just uh, some left the greens or whether it was just people that were not even that engaged politically day to day in the in the traditional debates, but were really animated by this idea that they were losing their freedoms, however incorrect they were. It created this movement for the PPC. Now, again, they didn't win a seat, but they did gain quite a bit of votes. They won a good percentage of the vote. Yeah. Frankly, in a just Huge. electoral system, they should have some seats. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like libs will, will look so many liberal monocles are shattering across the nation. As I say <laughs> that, but you know, the, they're like, why do you want the PPC to have seats? It's like, yeah. If they get 6% of the vote, they probably should have at least a few. Right. You know what I mean? Like they deserve mm-hmm. a few, but like, um, that was their issue. If if Polyevra wins, and he's already kind of at least nodded to being at least open to being an anti vaxxer and he's running on pretty conservative economic policies, and he's tapped into other kind of like 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 right wing things like like cryptocurrency. Yeah. And things he like that. He said plainly
0: no vaccine mandates. Like that's yeah. been something well, exactly. he's been interpreting since well, the beginning again, he's, yeah. hey,
1: Even there, he's a mixed message. He says, I'm going to uh, no vaccine mandates, but then the bill he proposed in Parliament was specific to COVID, but then he said, Oh, yes. no va- COVID but vaccine. So, yeah. yeah. So, the, but no, but but the, but the, in his messaging, he said no more vaccine mandates. He did yeah, not specify <laughs> COVID. So yeah. he's sort of like trying to, he's, he's at the very least flirting with the anti vax movement. So I do think there is a chance that. Polyevra winning creates a situation where the PPC loses much of its support, maybe even enough that even if he bleeds some red Tories over to Trudeau or to, to the liberals, whoever the liberal is, um, will uh, be enough to, 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 to maintain support that could drive the liberals more towards the center. Uh, If Polly ever runs more right wing, maybe the liberals feel that they can be more centrist, which could open a path for the NDP on the left. But that's like a lot of that's like a lot of speculation. There is a chance that and this happens often that that Polly ever could pivot a little bit that everyone sort of pivots a little bit when they when they run even O'Toole O'Toole ran as like I'm a better uh, a more real conservative than McKay. Mm -hmm. You remember that was yeah. his, that that's, you know, it was like, I'm not necessarily what you want. If you're a really right wing person voting for uh for Sloan or for Leslie Lewis. But I'm a true blue conservative, unlike the wishy-washy Peter McKay. So you could trust mm-hmm. me. And then he kind of pivoted a little bit and tried to sound more moderate on on everything from climate to COVID. Right. And mm-hmm. Polly might do the same thing. Maybe it'll still be it'll sound right wing because he's running more right wing relative to O'Toole. But if he pivots too much, does that leave the COVID, uh, the, the, the crazies in the PPC uh, unsatisfied and they stick with the PPC, but he stays mainstream enough that he keeps the blue, the blue, uh, the blue liberal, the red blue switchers. And, you know, I don't know. Right. I don't know. And there's another factor here too, and this explains maybe why he's raising a lot of money. Is one, he's very clearly successful. Is that he might be engaging certain people that haven't been super involved in the process, uh, and that yeah. ma- means that he could, he could, he could, you know, without needing to take a bunch of votes from the Liberals or PPC, find a way to victory, right? Like you know, like like we said in the Ontario election, the Ontario NDP could have if they just would have kept. The 800,000 people that voted for them last time and, and 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 just kept them voting for the NDP this time, they would have had more of a popular vote than Ford did, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like to, to a certain degree, when voter turnout is 50, 55, 60%, um, you can win by just getting more people, even without having to convince people to switch, if you can get mm-hmm. enough of them in the right places. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it could have an effect. And if the liberals especially are, if like a Freeland wants to be a little bit more centrist or if the economic indicators make the liberals want to be more austerity minded, then having a right wing pe- uh, conservative leader could make that more palatable, uh, right? Like that, that could that could be the case. Yeah, so, yeah it could allow that. Although it may th- be not. And the liberals might still fear that, you know, we, can, we can't, if we give up the left flank, uh, it will give too much to the NDP and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how the liberals will approach it. I'm not sure.
0: It's interesting to think, too, about why O'Toole is no longer leader like that was in large part due to people within the constituency that didn't believe he was you know, doing a good job and maybe even not being, quote unquote, you know, right wing enough. We're not going to have a, another uh, conservative. The next one Isn't going to be Sheree or someone like that. Like it just won't if that's why O'Toole was kicked to the curb. The one the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is this idea that in this magic arithmetic, if everything goes this way, that for some reason the NDP could turn into, you know, the real socialist party we want. I I don't think that even if this happens that we would necessarily get the more left wing policy. I'm worried that's a bit of a pipe dream because as much as I agree with a lot of the the leadership of Jagmeet uh for the federal NDP, I just I don't think if they didn't do it before, I don't think they will this time around, I don't necessarily think that, you know, the reason they didn't was because they, they, they you know, there's some plotting of whether or not it's politically prudent. Like there is, you know, there's there certain value systems that are maybe different than a lot of our listeners uh, have right now. So this idea that this will lead the way, maybe there is some movement, but I don't necessarily know if that yeah. will be the shift, that, especially and not in one election at the very least. Yeah, like if, think- if we... It yeah, might be
1: more. You know, I think you're right. And I think it might be based more on the point of like if if the Polly ever wins and he goes hard right and it opens room on the center, the liberals might move center. That might not even change how Jugmeat campaign. Meat just might yeah. campaign status quo, but it might leave more voters open to him because voters that were that, you know, are, are strategic voters, but to a point. Like, they won't mm-hmm. strategically vote for anything. And now all of a sudden, Trudeau's calling for austerity and agreeing with Polly Everett that we need to cut taxes or whatever on, on corporations or something. I don't know if that, you know, but, like, something like that. It might mean that it's, like, I'm a strategic voter, but only to a degree. And so I am voting NDP this time. That That's what I was thinking more there. I don't know yeah. if you're going to see a major shift in NDP policy. I'm not sure. I hope yeah. you do see a left-wing shift. And I, what, I, what you need to see, even if you don't see a left-wing shift, is just a better sense of how to sell the policies you have, right? Yeah, that's like, important. Like, like, like,
0: even if it isn't, we. how many times have we talked yeah. about that, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't need to give the uh, the neoliberal bullshit around it. He just needs to say, yeah. you know, free education. Like, like it, it talked needs about to be as simple as well,
1: that. But not even just like, look, he needs to say free education and cancel all student debt. But he's probably not going to yeah. say that. He's not going to say that. But when he says we're going to cancel up to 10,000, and then, you know, and like I'm telling you, like I'm like the Urkel, like I'm like an AK. And then if you have, if the full moon comes out on the, then you roll a 17 (laughs) or higher on a D20 and you live in a three bedroom house and you have worked in a, you know, like that Kamala Harris policy where she's like, we're going to cancel student loans for people that have opened up a small business in an under advanced. It's like, no, like that's bullshit. Like, look, you might just not believe or you don't think there's the money or you don't like the incentive structure of full universal debt cancellation we can have that fight like we can Mm -hmm. go have a slobber knocker on that between various camps in the NDP but I really think that if you are going to cancel partial debt you make it a hefty amount enough to matter and you make it universal because it's easy to sell to people and so without even the policy being more quote-unquote left-wing it's better policy and better marketing right ten thousand dollars fifteen thousand whatever it is Every single student, you cancel if you have uh, federal federally held student loans, your debt will be canceled up to 15k if you have 15k. Regardless and maybe of the get income. some
0: excitement, you yeah. know, like maybe get some people actually enthused in the same sort of way that Pierre Proulxever is uh, enthusing and getting people excited that are are perhaps ghouls that have completely decided to stop voting because they see you know crypto as a second coming because there's a narco capitalist. Like I really do think there's a path here that we we talk about a lot. They and um, in Ontario. Provincially, I think that was the same sort of problem. Even if there were some good, good policies that really would help people, their mental health policy by the NDP was a great policy. Didn't go all the way, but it was powerful and good yep. and would change the lives of millions of people almost right away, but it wasn't advertised and explained in the way that you're talking about, Crystal. So no yep. matter what happens, that needs to change tomorrow. And the good thing is, I think that can like, even if there isn't a shift in um, an ideological shift in the way that we want, I do believe that maybe in the scenario of this happens with Paulie that things could someone could, you know, smack these people upside the head and say, yes, you need to say this more clearly. This is the time to do that. So that could be exciting. But in terms of a big Overton window shift by this move, I I don't really see that happening in one election here. I I wanted to continue with this momentum. Another question from Tim B. We're sticking with federal politics. Should Elizabeth May be the next leader or co-leader of the Green Party? So this uh, follows a story from last week that may some sources are indicating Elizabeth May, the former leader of the Green Party, is proposing a joint leadership model for the Greens. Uh, sources who spoke on conditional confidentiality uh, told the CBC that May is proposing to run as co-leader and apparently those sources within the Green Party were really caught off guard and weren't sure about this which I think is kind of great like I do wonder if this is maybe just You know, Elizabeth May trying to push this because she's been this leader for so long and seeing her party, quote unquote, crashing and burning a bit, you could argue, in the last election. Uh, We only got a bit of time here, Krista. What do you think about this idea of the co-leader? And is like, Elizabeth May, is she just seeing like, this is her baby and everyone's fucking it up. So I got to take control again.
1: I mean, in terms of co-leaders, some parties have done that. Quebec Solidaire has done that at times where they've done the kind of co-leader system uh, it can work. I don't know how it would functionally work. I guess somebody has to run for premier. And so you make a decision at the time, like or prime minister, right? Like yeah. someone's got to run for that. And maybe the expectation is that the other person will be deputy prime minister, maybe minister of finance or some high ranking position. And you're sort of voting them for a quasi team, but we don't have a vice. We don't have an American, you know, running mate system where, you know, we elect mm-hmm. a prime minister and, and deputy PM. Um, so I we've never seen that from a a, a party at the federal level like yeah. a, a large enough party to, to to be consistently in parliament. so I don't know about that I'd be opening to see I'd be open to see how that would work in terms of may running I mean I think it's a mistake I do yeah. uh, like maybe she had she, her time yeah, it's done well yeah really? but maybe she shouldn't have retired when she did if like because mm-hmm. like I don't know right because like look to, to be fair the greens had uh under her leadership. Once she, they, they, they went from a party that couldn't even come close to winning seats and they won a seat, I believe 2011 and, you know, May made her seat a fortress. They've won a bunch of seats since, uh, you can't, I know the parties aren't directly connected, but I don't think you can fully discount the fact that May's federal success helped the greens in BC, in Ontario, in New Brunswick and PEI at the provincial level, where in some cases they've been able to win a lot of seats. Now they're the opposition in PEI. A lot of that happened when, May, uh, after Elizabeth May became federal Green Leader and became a consistent voice in Parliament. Um, and so her leaving, and we talked about this, and I talked about this on uh, and, and wrote about this on YouTube and, uh, and other sp- and, and other spaces. But, you know, this is a, a kind of make or break moment for the Green Party, right? Like they could either, you know, find a new direction or, or refine their direction into a successful way with a newer and exciting leader, or it could be this big crash moment. And it looks like it, it's yeah. more likely it's a crash moment right now. I mean, Anami e. Paul was not successful. She did not yeah. win her seat. The Greens- There's was... no
0: future. This idea of an eco-socialist Green Party yeah. seems further and well, further away, Well, especially with Lascaris
1: saying he's not going yeah. to run. Um, you know, uh, the Greens lost a seat in the last federal election and they were lucky they didn't lose two. Uh, one of the reasons they kept, they, they, they kind of pulled out that surprise victory because a liberal at the last moment, too late to be uh, replaced. Um, was removed from the ballot because of sexual assault allegations or or something along those lines. I forget what it was, but, you know, a very serious misconduct issue uh, and kind of opened up him as the the ABC alternative. If that allegation broke uh, even a few days later after advanced voting or a few earlier where the Liberals could have found some name to throw on there, he probably doesn't win. Greens likely would have been down to one seat, which would have been a maze again. Um, I I don't know. I think that it's it's a it's a sign of the party's weakness. It's a real confirmation that it's the Elizabeth May party. Yeah. Right? It's, and I think it's bad. Whereas if she stayed on, a lot of people would be like, man, she's been leader for a long time. Don't they need a new leader? But, like, they likely would have done a little bit better with her at the helm, I have to say. Yeah. Right? They would have done a little be bit better at, 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 at her at the helm. So I think it's a mistake. I do. I think it's a mistake. Even if she ultimately wins it again and, and all of that, I think this is a moment where they really need to find a new leader. And I don't know if Mike Morris doesn't want to do it like the, because mm. the, 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 they have to do the, yeah, the the or new. something, but they just, they need to like, and maybe one of the reasons may is like wants to do it or be a co-leader is because she's in parliament in a safe seat and she feels like the greens need to be in parliament with their leader. And like, that's mm. not an unreasonable perspective But that's why, like, Liz, you should have bit the bullet and stepped down for Annamie Paul. I know she's not from that part of the country. I know. But, like, it's a progressive riding. Uh, You're very popular there. Um, You know, you run her in a by-election... Uh, this whole thing where all the, oh, the NDP has to step down and let, like th- that, 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 that leader's privilege. I, that doesn't, it's not really a thing anymore, but it would have been much more a thing if the current leader resigns their seat to kind of trade it off to the new person. Right. Yeah. Um, she didn't do that though. So she kept her safe seat and didn't leave Anime Paul, any safe seats. And she, I think she made the wrong decision to run in Toronto center, but uh, I, I think that was not that was especially like she kind of she did okay in that first by-election but it's a liberal riding right it's a liberal riding um federally at least um and um yeah. I don't know. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. But like, I don't know who would beat her. Like, I don't think anyone's <laughs> yeah. gonna beat her. Yeah, as a no May.
0: No one's gonna even <laughs> begin. But this could be, as you you signaled, like the real crash of this party that I think has a lot of potential that that could speak to and provide Canadians that believe in this sort of ideology a real voice federally. Like, it's I I live in Guelph. Like, it's the, the provincially. This is you know this is the Green Party central. This is where we're all at. So I do think that like across the country, we've seen these that this party can be very, very successful because it will speak to something that does matter to Canadians. And it's just it's kind of disappointing. I don't know if it is hubris or, you know, this this deep sense of ownership of the party, but mistakes are being made. You know, maybe she should uh, run for mayor somewhere just like. Andrea Horvath, who is running for mayor yeah. of Hamilton, which I think will be like a slam dunk. And for those familiar with Hamilton uh, municipal politics, despite the area being uh, provincially and federally pretty NDP and, and progressive, they have a long line of not so uh, mayors in yeah. in Hamilton that are pretty right wing and like pretty severe and have been for a long time. So we definitely wish her luck in that endeavor moving on to, to other things. Uh, yeah. Before we go again, uh, apologies. We were gone for a little while. We're going to be back uh, week to week on this one. If you do want to join our community, once again, patreon.com slash left turn Canada, just give what you can. There's some great people there that are, are talking about some perspectives that you and I certainly don't have Christo. So we really do uh, appreciate it. And yeah,